Well, I wonder if we could turn in our Bibles this evening to the Gospel of John and to the chapter 18. John's Gospel, uh, chapter 18. And we're going to read from the first verse of the chapter. John's uh, Gospel, uh, chapter 18, and beginning our reading at the first verse. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kidron, where was a garden into which he entered and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus saith unto them, I am he. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. As soon then as he had said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. Then asked he them again, Whom seek ye? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I have told you that I am, or I am he, uh, is in italics, is, I am is what he said. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way, that the saying might be fulfilled which ye speak, of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it, and smote the high priest's servant, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword unto the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink of it? Then the band and the captain and the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him, and led him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. Amen. We know the Lord will add his blessing to the reading of his precious word to all of our hearts. We remember how that at the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, the Lord had warned his disciples that one of them should betray him. And immediately after, we read that Satan entered into Judas Iscariot. And how vile this man was. He had been with the Lord for many years. He had been uh, amongst the disciples. He had heard what the Lord said. He had listened to the words of love. He had seen the remarkable healings that had taken place and the mercy and love that was manifested to men and women round about him. And yet here is a man who seems to have had a, another agenda. He had another idea as to who the Lord was and what he was come to do. And so he felt that he could force the issue and he could uh, cause the Lord to do something that he felt that he should do. But I want you to see that the Judas goes and he brings the mob, he brings the Roman soldiers, 
and the Levitical temple police and the personal servants of the Jewish rulers, these form a mob who come to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. And they come prepared. If you read Mark 14, verse 43, it says, Immediately while he yet spake cometh Judas, one of the twelve, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and scribes and the elders. You'll notice the representatives of the three groups in the Sanhedrin, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. And they have got together with the Romans and with the temple police, and they're all coming prepared in order to take the Lord Jesus. I don't know whether they thought that there was going to be resistance, but they came with the staves and with the sword, and they were determined that they were going to take the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are many who would think that what happened here is that the Lord uh, lost control, that he was overwhelmed in some way, that he was overpowered in some way, and that he lost control of the situation. But what I want you to see as we look at this portion of Scripture, and we're thinking about the arrest of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight, and what I want you to see is what Peter said on the day of Pentecost. He said to the Jews, Him, speaking of Christ, be delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, ye have taken and with wicked hands have crucified and slain. But the Lord Jesus was delivered into the hands of these men by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God. This was all planned. This was all in the purpose of God. And you can see the way that God is uh, fulfilling his purpose. And I think as we look at it, we'll see even that in a little bit more detail. But as we think about that, it thrills our souls, it thrills our hearts to think that all of this takes place, that God is making all things come together so that his son will die on the cross and that he might be our saviour. It's all done out of the love and mercy of God. But today we're just going to think for a few minutes of this arrest of Christ and There are just a few things that I want you to see as we study the events here, particularly in John chapter 18. And first of all, I want you to see the conspiracy against Christ. The arrest of Christ is not really surprising. Wicked men have plotted against the Lord Jesus. You think about how Herod had sought to put the babes in Bethlehem to death, and we think of many instances down through the days of the Lord Jesus. We think of the storm on Galilee and the great uh, satanic storm that took place. And men from the very beginning had sought to put the Lord Jesus Christ to death. The devil was plotting to stop the Lord Jesus Christ going to the cross. And we see here really the final plot. We're told in John chapter 18, verses 2 and 3, And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches. Now, 
I want you to realize now these men are coming, but the Lord knows that they're coming. He has already warned his disciples that this is going to take place. Look at um, Matthew chapter 26, verses 1 and 2. It says, It came to pass when Jesus had finished all these things, he said unto his disciples, Ye know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. And then it says, Then assembled the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. So you'll notice the timing of that. The Lord had said to his disciples that he was going to be delivered into the hands of the chief priests and the elders in two days. And then after that, we find that the chief priests and the scribes and the elders get together to conspire against the Lord. So the Lord knows what's going to happen before it takes place. And you can see all the plotting that takes place, but all has already been foreseen and foretold by the Lord. As we say, being delivered by the determinate knowledge, counsel for knowledge of God, ye have taken and with wicked hands have crucified and slain. So we can see that God has foreseen all of these events. But then I want you to see the plan. Look at them. Verses 4 and 5 of Matthew 26, it says, And consulted that they might take Jesus by subtlety and kill him. And they said, Not on the feast day, lest there be an uproar among the people. So there's their plan. They said, we're, we're going to take him, but we're not going to take him on the feast day. When was the feast day? Well, the feast day, well, um, the, the, the word in, in the... Uh, uh, in the Bible there is day, but it speaks of day in the broader sense um, of a, a, a period of time. And what is happening here is that the uh, plan is that the Lord Jesus is not going to be taken on the feast days or on the day of pa- on the Passover feast, on the Passover period. They weren't going to take the Lord Jesus on that period. But what happened? Their plan failed. Because the whole events came together that he was taken on the day of Passover. That wasn't what they were thinking. That was not what they were planning. They were going to take him by subtlety and by craftiness. But they weren't planning to take him on the uh, feast day. And the reason for that was... It says, lest there be an uproar among the people. They were so concerned about the Romans. And if the Romans thought that there was going to be a riot, or if the Romans thought that there was going to be a commotion, there was all the likelihood in the world that the Romans were going to come down upon them. So what they wanted to do was to take the Lord Jesus by subtlety without creating a problem. In other words, they were going to do this as subtly as they could, so that they wouldn't draw the attention of the Romans. And they didn't want to do it on the feast day, because that was going to make an uproar amongst the Jews, because they knew that these things should not take place on the feast day. But the Lord overrules all this. And when you, if you compare all of the accounts in the Gospels, you will find that the Lord Jesus was actually slain on the day 
when the Paschal lamb, the Passover lamb, was to be slain. At the actual time when the Passover lamb was to be slain. And that was all in the plan and purpose of God. And these men had planned, don't take him on the feast day because it'll create a commotion. But God, again, overrules their plans. They have all the plans in the world. They have all the purpose in the world. But they are those that are overruled by the sovereignty of God. But look at the desire of the plotters. In Mark 14 and 1, it makes it plain that they may put him to death. The enemies of Christ are bloodthirsty. Nothing but the death of Christ would satisfy these wicked plotters. They didn't want to imprison Christ. They didn't just want to send him out of the country. They didn't want just to, uh, uh, to flog him or anything else. They wanted to be rid of Christ permanently. And the enemies of Christ are never a tame lot. If we think that the world out there and those that are motivated by the devil are going to play by the rules, and if they're going to give us a, a very soft time, we need to have another think about that because we find that these men, what they wanted to do was to destroy Christ. And you can see it in the uh, liberal left of today. You can see it in the world in general. And they will not be content until they have destroyed the Christian church and destroyed the gospel of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. The worst thing that you can be in the minds of many people today is a white Christian. And we can see that in this world in which we live. But it means any Christian whatsoever because uh, the black Christians and the Asian Christians are suffering far more than we are in this day in which we live. So don't expect the enemies of Christ to play by the rules. They are a bloodthirsty lot. So we see the conspiracy against Christ. But then I want you to see the confrontation of Christ. Look at uh, verses 2 and 3 here of uh, John 18. And first of all, we have the confrontation by Judas. It says, And Judas also which betrayed him knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Now, it's pathetic and ironic that uh, Judas would choose the secret place of Gethsemane to exhibit his treachery. He would have known that the Lord would have spent time there in prayer. He would have known that this was the place where the Lord communed with his father and spent time away in the stillness to pray. And as Judas would have often watched his leader, and here he comes right in the very place of communion with the father in order to take the Lord Jesus here, and that's not something that is um, a, a, an accident either. But I want you to think here of Judas. Judas really is guilty of arrogance. As we said, he um, is a zealot. Many people would say he was a religious zealot. The zealots in those days were the religious nationalists. They wanted to, uh, to uh, rid the land of the Romans and the oppression, 
and to reestablish Israel as its own land. And Judas thought that the Lord is the Messiah was going to rid the land of the, of the Romans, and it wasn't happening fast enough. And Judas thought, well, I've got to make this happen faster. And he uh, got into this conspiracy because he felt that he knew how to do things more and better than the Lord. And you know, it's always uh, a sign of danger when we think that we know better than the Lord. You know, sometimes there are things that happen to us or things that happen in the work of God and we can't understand. And we think, well, I would do things different. I would do things in another way than the Lord does. But you know, at the end of the day, the Lord always knows the end from the beginning. He always knows the best thing to do. And Judas here, he's full of arrogance. He's full of pride. He thinks he knows better than the Lord. But you know, we always need to put our hand in the hand of the Lord, even though the path may be rough and steep, and we may be going over rough ground in our lives, we still put our hand in the hand of the Lord. Maybe it seems like Judas that the Lord isn't working fast enough, or things aren't happening quickly enough, but we still put our hand in the hand of the Lord. So there's the confrontation by Judas, but then there's another confrontation by the authorities here. The Greek word translated band there in the verse where it says that Judas, having received the band of soldiers, um, means the officers of the chief priests and the Pharisees. And then it, it speaks there also of um, the band, and the band there actually is the Greek term for a part of a legion. And it's thought by some that maybe there might have been 500, 600, or 1,000 people in Aspiran. Aspiran was the name of the group. There was a lot of people anyway. Uh, they, they, they didn't come to arrest the Lord Jesus with a few. The band was a cohort of a Roman uh, legion. And we think of the officials. Not only was there a great band of men that came, but you think of the authority, because it mentions all three of the groups that were in the Sanhedrin. There was the, uh, uh, there was the chief priests, and there was the uh, scribes, and then there was the, uh, the uh, ecclesiastical authorities that were with the officers uh, as well. So there are all of the three groups that were in the Sanhedrin. So they're coming with authority, and they're coming in strength. And we have the civil authorities and the religious authorities together, and you have the Romans and the Jews. You have Jews and Gentiles together. And the Bible, actually in Matthew 26 and verse 47, describes the whole thing as a great multitude. So they are coming with this great multitude with swords and with staves. And we think of the might that is used here. And they are going to outnumber the disciples by many times. And of course, that's what happens in the world. 
You, you can imagine, and well, you know that God's people are outnumbered by the world many times. We, we find that in so many cases, how that um, you, you, you look out there and in the world today, uh, the uh, multitude that is against us is a great multitude. We are only a, a tiny minority today. Those who are God's people, we're only a tiny minority. And here they come with lanterns and with torches. It's, it's, it's a full moon. And the reason that they come with lanterns is to search and create case the uh, believers or the Lord is in some dark place or in the bushes or whatever it is. But here they come with all... Well, they bring their weapons and their lanterns and they've all the equipment and they're ready, they're prepared and they have a multitude. And you think of the world, it prepares itself against the people of God. They, they, they are going to use all the might of the state. They're going to use all the might of the levers of authority that they have. They're going to use all of the numbers that they have. And Again, we see that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against angels and principalities and powers. And they come to confront Christ, and they come with all the authority and the might that they can muster. My, how we have a mightier band. Thank God that we have the uh, army of heaven surrounding us. You think of Elisha's servant, and when the king of, Assyria, of Syria came and he uh, was surrounding Elisha and uh, Gehazi in the mount, remember how that he, the servant Gehazi almost despaired. And Elisha said to God, open the servant's eyes that he might see. And when God opened his eyes, he saw the multitude of heaven that was round about him. And we have a mighty multitude, and we come to the God of heaven who's able to meet with us and bless us. But one, something else I want you to see, it is the challenge of Christ. The Lord Jesus now challenges his arresters. Look at verse 4. Jesus doing all things that should come upon him. Again, you notice that. Jesus knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? Now, the Lord knew all that was going to take place. He knew what he was facing. But he goes out to meet them. He goes out to meet them. And the whole point of the series of questions and replies here is that he wants his father's will to be done. He said in the garden, O Father, if this cup may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. And his desire was that the will of God, the will of the Father, should be done. And we think of the uh, fact of the Lord's perfect knowledge here, and also the fact of Christ's power. It says in verse 6, As soon as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward and fell to the ground. So the Lord says, knowing all things that should come upon them. He knows all things. And then he has all power because we think of these men, these men that come to arrest him. And it says, as soon 
as he said unto them, I am he, they went backward. They, they were just uh, poleaxed to the ground by the mighty power of God. Here is his majesty. F.B. Meyer speculates that some rays of concealed glory burst from the Lord and he shows something of his divine power. You think of how the Lord uh, caused Korah and Nathan and Abiram in the days of Moses to fall into the earth. Such was the power of God. And God has not lost any of his ancient power. He is still as powerful today as he ever was. And we thank God for the mighty power of God. And we think of the, uh, uh, the, uh, uh, the Savior here and how he is able to overcome even in the end. It's interesting to think about the kiss of Judas here. The many Greek scholars would say that it was actually a prolonged kiss or even an affectionate kiss. Uh, it, was, it was a kiss of love that Judas gave. And Judas came, and I, I, I wonder if he thought that he was doing right by the Lord Jesus Christ. And maybe there was some perverted respect that he had for the Lord Jesus Christ. But my, what a horrible deed it is that he did. Maybe there was, he, I, you know that he went out and killed himself when he re realized what he had done. So there seems to have been some love there, some affection there for the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet here he is, and he's try, trying to thwart the, the, the uh, great mission of the Lord Jesus Christ to die on the cross of Calvary. And here's a man who seems to have, in, in some ways, the right motives. And yet he's doing the wrong thing. And you know, at times we can be like that. And there are many of God's people, and they can do the wrong thing out of a right motive. And it always teaches us that we need to be near God. We need to walk with God day by day. But they don't want you to see the compassion of Christ. If you look at verses 8 to 11, we see the compassion of the Lord in the face of all of this. You notice the words of the Lord Jesus Christ to Judas. You would think that the Lord Jesus would have repudiated Judas, that the Lord would have um, turned his back upon Judas. When Judas kissed him, would, would the Lord not have said, oh, you, you foul me? You come near me? You, the Lord knew what Judas was doing. And the Lord could have say, turned his face away from Judas. But what did the Lord do? Well, Matthew 26 and verse 50 says, the Lord said to him, friend, friend, Wherefore art thou come? Jesus did not just say, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them that despitefully use you. The Lord put that into practice. And my here's a man with a compassion toward his enemies. This awful, and we are told later that Judas went to his own place in hell. There's a place 
specially prepared for Judas Iscariot in hell. And yet the Lord still showed him compassion. Friend, wherefore art thou come? And I want you to see that the Lord here shows his compassion in a number of ways here also, not only with Judas, but look at with his own disciples. Look at verses 8 and 9. When the men come to arrest him, he says to them, If ye seek me, let these go their way, that the same might be fulfilled which ye speak of them, which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Now, the Lord here, do you think now, if, any, if there was an ever a time when the Lord Jesus should be thinking of himself, it was on the brink of the cross. It was when he was being arrested and when he was, with full knowledge, uh, going to face the cross and all of the pain of all of these things. And yet he's not thinking about himself. He wants his disciples to be set at liberty. That's what he's thinking of. He says, of those of whom, uh, of those whom thou hast given me, have I lost none. Hugh Martin, I don't know whether we're stretching, it, but Hugh Martin, the um, commentator, said, let it be borne in mind that the whole scene is dramatic, symbolic, sacramental. And he says that really what we have here is in miniature. Here's the Lord on the brink of the cross. And what's he doing? He wants his people to be set at liberty. Is there a picture there? Isn't that what the Lord Jesus went to the cross to do? To set his people at liberty? So there is the compassion towards, his, for, towards Judas and towards his own people. And then again towards his enemies. You think of the healing of Malchus's ear. And we think of how Peter, in a rash move, uh, struck out at Malchus. Probably the sword glanced off the helmet that the man had on and took off uh, his ear. And you can imagine uh, Malchus standing wide-eyed and blood pouring through his fingers. And we think of a hundred blades beginning to be drawn from the scabbards. And there could have been a real melee. And again, it could have been an occasion when the Lord Jesus could have been killed in the midst of all of that, and the purpose of going to the cross could have been thwarted by the action of Peter. And again, it teaches us, and sometimes as God's people, we can be rash and we can do things that we shouldn't do. We should always be careful about what we do. And we think of how the Lord um, here now touches. He calms the situation. He, he says, says, suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. And my, what a wonderful thing it is. The Savior's compassion. But one more thing that I want you to see. We've seen the compassion of Christ. But look at the capture of Christ. Look at the capture itself. Look at verse 12 of John 18. It says, then the band and the captain and the officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. And those simple words uh, are a description of the infamy of the scene. My, here's the Lord, and he's taken as a felon. And we think of the elements here that deepen the impression. We think of the 
recklessness and relentlessness of the captors. We think of um, the demonstration of the power of the Lord and casting them to the ground. Mike, you would think that I would have spoken to them. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you have thought that that would have taken them and um, they would have come up short? When, when, when the Lord had just spoken a word and this gust or this power comes and casts them to the ground, wouldn't you have thought that would have made them think? But man never thinks. Man just goes on reckless and headlong in his course. Not only do we see the recklessness and relentlessness of the captors, but the rudeness and the violence of the captors. No sooner do they seem to have captured and bound him than they uh, applied violence to him. They flogged him. They despitefully used him. They uh, took him as a wild mob to be their prisoner, and they mistreated him. We think of the flight of the disciples. It says, for now all the disciples forsook him and fled. He's left alone. Oh, we think of how men leave the Savior alone. It says in Zechariah 13 and 7, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. And I will turn mine hand upon the little ones, and again he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted of, with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. And my, what it was that the Savior was left alone. He submitted to the cross. He went through it all, knowing his destiny. And he went through it all. It had all been planned and purposed in the uh, counsel of God through all eternity. And God had brought all these things to place and all the things fitted together just to bring the Lord Jesus Christ to that place at the exact right time prophesied by Daniel, indicated by the Passover lamb. All was brought together in the right time because there was a time from all eternity when the Lord Jesus Christ would die for you and for me. My, what a wonderful thing it is. And yet we think of the awfulness of men taking our Savior and putting him there on that cross and despitefully using him. And we think of how men are so cruel against the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet we have a loving Savior. Oh, may we rejoice in him tonight. Oh, may we, with all of our hearts, love him with a full heart and with a full uh, will and desire. May God write his word even upon our hearts for his name's sake. Well, let's just unite together, please, at the throne of grace and prayer. And do remember our sister, um, Frida. And do remember the throne of grace and prayer and the family. And the funeral will be here on uh, Friday at 12 o'clock. So uh, do remember that and pray for our sister.
and remember the throne of grace and prayer. And pray for our meetings on the Lord's Day. Of course, it will be our communion, and also it will be uh, a time when we'll be able to meet around the Lord's table. So do pray for that and pray for God's blessing. Of course, remember the uh, Easter convention meetings coming up over the weekend and pray for God's mighty blessing upon them. So let's just unite together, please, at the throne of grace and prayer. Our loving God and our gracious Father, we come to Thee in our Saviour's precious name, and we thank Thee tonight that we can come to Thee. We think of the arrest of our Saviour. We think of how wicked men had planned all these things, and, Lord, they had all these things set out in their own terms, and yet, Lord, thou dost overrule all of their terms. And we thank thee that our Saviour went to the cross at the right time. And we bless thee that our Saviour uh, was brought to that place uh, at the time of God's choosing. And we thank thee in the way of God's choosing. And we thank thee that the whole thing was of God's choosing, that we might be redeemed and we'd ask thee that thou wouldst bless thy word even in the incoming days. We'd ask thee for a sense of thy presence, especially over the weekend. Bless the going forth of thy word. Give us words from thyself. We thank that words that thou thyself shall give must and shall prevail. And we pray, Lord, that thou wouldst be pleased to bring folks in. We think of those who were in last Lord's Day, maybe even give some of them an interest, a curiosity to come back again unto the sound of the Word of God. And we pray, Lord, that thou wouldst be pleased to save the lost. How encouraged we were to hear of that man uh, that was saved from the Enniskillen Church uh, that has been prayed for over maybe 50 years. Lord, we uh, think of him being prayed for when I was uh, in Enniskillen Church. And Lord, we thank thee that after so many years, thou hast in thy mercy saved him. And our God, we uh, thank thee that uh, maybe it's long that we've been praying, but Lord, we thank thee that God answers prayer. So come and bless us tonight and help us even as we seek thee in the place of prayer. For it's in Jesus' precious name that we ask these things. Amen.